NFR Extra is a podcast dedicated to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo and features icons and personalities that embody the Western lifestyle. It's escapism, man. Like, I think that, that people that are from the East Coast that listen to my music, they listen to it so they feel like they're in the Rocky Mountains, you know, right, yeah. whereas me, like I'm in the Rocky Mountains. So I'm going to listen to Eminem and Blink-182 and the Beatles to make me feel like I'm not in the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what's so beautiful about music. Every time I write a song, my goal is always to try and change the world or to change the way that people look at the world. And a lot of the times it's like, man, that's a lot of pressure, one. Two, it's like, it tends to lead me in the direction of being curious and very spiritual in my lyrics. This is Brylan Bentley, and you're listening to NFR Extra. Well, Brylan and I were talking earlier, and I usually don't get nervous for interviews, but I'm uh, I'm excited and a, a little anxious about this one because we're talking to Ian Munsick today. And Ian, if you will, take us back to, to when you got started and, and how you got involved in music. Yeah, so, um, man, I was born on a cattle ranch in northern Wyoming. Um, my dad and my two older brothers all play music. So I didn't really have a choice growing up, man. It was always music in the house, um, piano and violin and the guitars just scattered around our household growing up. And, uh, you know, I was always looking up to my two older brothers who who were playing and then my dad who also plays. Um, So that was kind of – I never really – remember a exact time where I was like, Oh gosh, I want to be a musician. It was just always kind of there. And obviously growing up on a ranch, um, that kind of Western lifestyle has always influenced my music as well as my brother's and my dad's music too. So, uh, man, it's just all kind of been there from the very start. So Brylan and I were talking a little bit before before we got started, and a couple of the words that came up were not only unique, but real. So tell us a little bit more uh, about that background and and your your rural roots, if you will. Yeah, man, I, I always go back to, um, you know, there's so much music out there that um, that is kind of following the latest trend. You know, and that's um, that's just kind of how art and the culture are, just in general. Not only in country music, but I think in every kind of music and um, and in every kind of art style too. Uh, but for me, man, Wyoming is such an isolated place. Uh, there's not a lot of outside influences that um, penetrate the culture of Wyoming. It's kind of how it was back in the old days. And those, those influences are still there now. Um, and there's not a lot of 
modern influences that that um that get into the culture which is why i love it um because it's literally like stepping back in time and so for me as an artist and as a as a songwriter and and as a producer of music um i think that that's really what what helps me stay in my own lane and um and and not not get caught up in what's hot right now in country music or or um right. or what's the latest trend what side did you lean more towards when you were getting involved was it actually the songwriting side or did you jump in as an actual artist or singer um that's a good question uh so growing up my dad had my two older brothers and I play in a band with him called the Munsick Boys. And, uh, man, we would play rodeos and weddings and um, dances and just everything that we could throughout the Rocky Mountain region. So that was kind of my first experience um, performing music. And that was at a pretty young age. Um, I mean, I remember being on stage when I was – 10 years old. Um, oh, wow. And obviously, you know, I would write some stuff, but at 10 years old, you know, um, yeah. they were more just kind of like, uh, like little, uh, titties, if you will, not real songs. Uh, right. Right. So that, so that was kind of what, um, what I knew that I wanted to do from the beginning was be on stage, but songwriting came not too far after that. When I was in high school, I just, I just loved writing lyrics and writing melodies. Um, and so I always consider myself a songwriter just because I know that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now as an artist without the tunes that I wrote, you know? Absolutely. So how, I guess this is kind of a, uh, out there far fetched left question. How did you get to the air quotes of Nashville then? If you were songwriting, like what was your steps on kind of branching out then? How were you discovered, I guess, is the best way? Yeah, so um I moved to Nashville for college actually. Um so when I was nineteen I moved there. Um I didn't know anybody there, but I feel like the college gave me a built-in community there that that all spoke the common language of music and um all of the players in my band I went to college with my wife who's also my manager I went to college with um a lot of the people that have helped me get to where I am now I'm at in college so that was very very helpful um but I would say really it was my wife that that helped me get into the industry of Nashville. Um, she, she knew early on when she moved to Nashville that the college was just kind of the gateway to get in. Um, and, and the real stuff that's happening was on music row and, uh, mm -hmm. our college, you know, like the college in general is, um, it's, it's kind of own, the community and it takes an effort to get out 
and experience the real industry that you're, that you're studying for, you know? Um, so she knew that at a young age and, um, she kind of stepped out and, and she met the right people and, um, through her, she really helped me get with the right people that eventually led to my publishing deal and my record deal. And, uh, man, I would, I would definitely not be here without her. That's for sure. Well, you're definitely meeting some of the right people because that collaboration with Cody Johnson, that was the first time I really, I heard you. Um, I'm, I'm always late to the game. Uh, I, I'm always late to the game with new music just because I'm I'm a father of two and I'm not cool anymore like I wasn't. Yeah, man, I hear but, you. I hear but, you. Uh, but when I heard your voice, that there's there's a a big difference between you and Cody, and you yeah. you have a a really unique sound. Is that something that has always been with you, or is that something that's formed over time? Man, honestly, I think it's always been with me. Um, again, I always go back to growing up in Wyoming, you know, Mm -hmm. um, in Wyoming, I was not listening to Nashville country music. Um, it was on in the radio, but those tunes didn't, didn't relate to the lifestyle that I was living. Um, it was more like Ian Tyson, Chris Ledoux, um, Tom Russell, more of like the cowboy country poets that that really I could see my lifestyle in. And the Texas country also had a big place in that um, through high school. The Texas country I found to be more raw and more real, especially in that time period, you know, um, like uh, late 2000s, like, Randy Rogers and yes. people like that. And then obviously the one that really put Texas country in the mainstream was of course, Cody Johnson. And I remember listening to him when I was 18, still living in Wyoming. And I was like, damn, now that is a guy that, that, that I could see the taking real country music back into the mainstream. And that's exactly what he's done. Um, so for us to be on that collab, man, was just a dream come true. And it, that it was really a full circle moment um, for me because up until Cody, I did not listen to mainstream country music. Um, it was more red dirt, underground, alternative stuff. So, so to be on there with him and, and really just to call him a friend, man, has been um, – has been pretty incredible over the last few years. So is that kind of like your pinch me moment moment then? Uh, I mean, we're, <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Yeah, man, I would say so. Um, he asked me to go on tour with him um, in 2021. And that was obviously like a big pinch me moment, but I remember probably the biggest pinch me moment after he agreed to sing long live cowgirls with me on the record hearing his voice and my voice harmonize with each other for the first time in the studio. That was like, Oh my goodness. Like that was just an amazing moment that, uh, that I'll take with me to the grave, man. It was pretty cool. I 
can't even believe that. I could only imagine, I mean, meeting you right now and having a few conversations with Cody, I could only imagine what that moment was like in the studio (laughs) together. It was cool. It was cool, definitely. Let's take a quick pause and we'll be right back. Looking for NFR video content and features? It's all in one place at forward slash Las Vegas NFR. You will find unique features like the top 35 most memorable moments since 1985, the top 60 NFR contestants of all time, NFR champions recaps, custom NFR videos, and much more. You'll also find NFR performance recaps, insider tips, and interviews you might have missed along the way. Once you dive in, you'll find a lot more great content. There's something for all rodeo fans because legacies and memories are made in Vegas. I want to talk about Cowboy Killer because I feel like this song really (laughs) launched and I don't know whether it was the TikTok side of it, but tell me about (laughs) Cowboy Killer and how that came about. It is the perfect um, counter to the rest of my music. Um, You have Long Live Cowgirls, which is extremely on one end of the spectrum of country music. And then you have Cowboy Killer, which is pretty much the exact opposite end of the spectrum in country music. But that's that's also what I've always aimed to do is to make sure that I have my lane but make it as broad as I can. Um, and, you know, the growing up a 90s, baby, like, I loved Eminem. I loved Blink-182. I love George Strait. I mean, all over the spectrum, you know? So I always thought that if, if I could cohesively package modern-day hip hop drums with real instruments like banjo and fiddle and mandolin that had kind of been a staple for me that it would be a, it would be a kind of innovative production. And I think that that's, that's what Cowboy Killer is. And it, it also is a reminder to me that every time I write a song, I want to, my goal is always to try and change the world or to change the way that people look at the world. And a lot of the times it's like, man, that's a lot of pressure. One, two, it's like, that tends to lead me in the direction of being serious and very spiritual in my lyrics. Whereas cowboy the killer is a reminder of like, Hey man, just have a good time. People listen to music to forget about the struggles in their lives or to have a good time on the weekend out, out with their, their friends. So I think that that's, that's kind of a, uh, that's probably why people lean in to that one. Um, and then obviously when I play live, I think that TikTok has gotten a hold of it, but um, I do a dance move called the belt buckle shuffle. And it's like, (laughs) I'm twirling my hips around, holding my belt. And um, and I think that that, uh, that 
that's usually the point of our live show that people will break out their uh, their phones and post it on TikTok and stuff. So uh, I definitely think that TikTok has helped launch that song too. Well, I can honestly say I think this is the first time that Eminem and Blink-182 have been referenced on this podcast, but, but, I mean, if you're busting ice and shoveling snow in Wyoming, there's no way, oh, there's no better way to get out of aggression than to play Eminem and Blink-182. That's right. Hey, man, and many times that has happened. I mean, I remember one, one, uh, one summer on the ranch, it, it was my job to go around all of the barbed wire on the whole ranch and, and repair every line of it. And um, man, I remember throwing on the Beatles, um, their first album. And by the time I got to the last album, I was done, but man, that is a (laughs) lot. That is a lot of music to go through to fixing up barbed wire, man. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's escapism, man. Like I think right. that the people that are from the East coast that listen to my music, they listen to it. So they feel like they're in the Rocky mountains, you know, right. yeah. whereas me, like I'm in the Rocky mountains. So I'm going to listen to Eminem and Blink-182 and the Beatles to make me feel like I'm not in the Rocky mountains. Yeah. And, uh, right. and that's, what's so beautiful about music. Well, when you dive into some of your deeper tracks, I'm glad you you mentioned your your area where you're from because there is almost a a, a haunting spiritual feel yeah. to some of your songs. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I listen to I listen to White Buffalo, and I'm I'm not a music producer, but there's almost like a a hollow sound in the background. Oh, yeah. Like there's yeah. a there's an open space. So, I mean, is that obviously that's what you're going for? Correct. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um... You know, producing music is is one thing that, that you don't really hear people talk about too much, especially in country music, because it's more about to the lyrics, you know, and that's mm-hmm. what's so awesome about it. But the production aspect of it, I've always thought to be equally as important because if the lyrics are saying one thing and the production takes you somewhere else, then it's not going to be a good song, you know, whereas it, no matter how good the lyrics are, the production can either screw it up or make it the best that it can ever be. Um, so I, I always really try and be extremely in Involved in the production of my music uh, because that's how I got to where I am. So just having another person produce my music is having another person create my sound. And for me, I always want the people listening to my music to hear it from me. So mm-hmm. I play a lot of the instruments in my music. I write all my songs. I produce all my songs. So I really feel like you're hearing what's in, in my brain. And I feel like that's what makes it um, so unique. That's awesome. So talking about production and how you are so involved on the music side of it, what about the concert and performance side of it? Because that's something that is noticeably different for each um 
artist yeah. as a whole. What is kind of your path when you start looking at that? Do you change up the middle sections of each concert? How does that go for location? How does that work for you? Um, you know, being on stage is, um, I love it. I kind of black out for 90 minutes when I'm on stage. It just, man, it flies by every time. And for me, we kind of have, have the same groove down for, for our live show now, just because we play a lot of live, live, um, shows around the country, but it does, it's different, especially now because we just played in the Northeast in Boston last week. And then in two weeks we're playing the NFR in Vegas, you know? So it's like, man, those are two totally right different cultures yeah but but again it it always goes back to the escapism you know people when they come to a ian munzik show i want them to feel like they're in wyoming for 90 minutes and for me one of the greatest entertainers in country music that doesn't get near enough credit is Chris Ledoux. Mm-hmm. Um, we would not have the, the, the Garth Brooks if it wasn't for Chris Ledoux, but not a lot of people know that. Um, but man, he, he gave 100% of his energy every single time he hit the stage. And that's exactly what I do. Um, I have a hard time, containing myself on stage. Um, but it's because I know how hard people work for their money to get into the concert. I know how much time and effort goes in to them traveling there, leaving their kids at home, trying to do all of that stuff just to have a good time, you know? So when I step off stage, I want to make sure that, it's the best concert that they've ever been to and that they're like, damn, I would go see him again. So those are just always my two goals for the live show. Well, that authenticity you were talking about earlier, uh, I, I, in my opinion, that's what makes Chris Ledoux timeless. You know, I yeah. mean, the oh fact gosh, that it's yeah. real, you know, I mean, if yep. you're a world champion bareback rider and you <laughs> sing a song like bareback Jack, well, well oh, you, you're not BSing anybody, you no, know? So, no. Exactly. Um, so that's what, to me, makes it timeless. But speaking of yeah. timeless classics, before we transition to the Vegas stuff, I looked on your YouTube music page. You re-recorded The Grinch. That oh, yeah. was awesome. But I, I want to know what was – that's one of my favorite, my Christmas favorites, movie and song. But I, I yeah. want to know oh, yeah. what was the thought process behind doing that. Man, so uh, I'm not a big Christmas music guy. Um, okay. I love Christmas. I love the holidays, but Christmas music, uh, golly, man. For one thing, they play it too early. It gets <laughs> yes. played for two months. Amen. Two months, and that's all you hear. And it's like, golly, man. And it's usually the same 10 tunes over and over again, just redone by the different artists. So for me, when my record label told me that 
they're like, Hey, I know that you don't want to do this, but you need to record at least one Christmas song. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do your mean one, Mr. Grinch, because one, not a lot of people have done it. And yep. two, it captures my Christmas music spirit, which okay. is um, more on the Grinchy end of the spectrum. Uh, so yeah, man, that's kind of how, how that came to be. Um, then again, you know, for that one, I think it's all in the production. Um, having there be the banjo and the kind of spooky fiddle lines that are in there and, and the background vocals that just kind of um, make it a little bit eerie and not what you think of when you think of Christmas music, you know? Well, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. We're going to jump into Vegas for a second because you'll be joining us cool. at the Mirage on the 9th and 10th. But before that, you are coming out to Vegas and hosting a little deal downtown, the White Buffalo Voices of the West. Tell me a little bit about yes. how this has come about and what you are talking about there. Yeah, so this is a documentary about Native American cowboys and growing up not too far away from the Crow reservation um i realized that when i traveled outside of where i grew up that not a lot of people one know about cowboys and real cowboys not just the cowboys that you see on instagram or tiktok because nine times out of ten those aren't real cowboys those are people wearing right. cowboy hats uh, yeah cowboys yes. like to stray away from instagram because their lifestyle is one of tradition and, um, and anti-technology even. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, so I had that realization and then I had the realization that people don't, people think that the Cowboys and Native Americans are still enemies, which is like they, they're the same people. And right. Uh, right. people just don't know though. You know, and it's not their fault. It's just that that no one has tried to bring that culture to light. Um, so that's really what we're trying to do with this film. And uh, man, I had three of my the good friends who are all Native American cowboys and cowgirls. Um, we just kind of followed them around for a day in their life. Um, raising horses, doing rodeo, ranching, um, and, and really try and give them a platform to educate and to share their stories of inspiration because all three of them are very, very extremely successful in their field of cowboy and um, man, I just think that it's a, it's a culture and it's a lifestyle that needs to be highlighted more. Join him at the cool. Chelsea at the Cosmo, which is an incredible yes. venue. If you have not been there, oh, yeah. it is actually one of my favorite here in Las Vegas. It is beautiful property in general. Check out the uh, chandelier bar while you're there. That is awesome. So anything yeah. different about this yeah. show as to what you brought in the past, man, um, we played the NFR after party at the Mirage, um, okay. the last 
two years and man, those crowds were insane. They were, uh, they told us that we broke the attendance record the last two years. We broke it the first year and then we broke that record again last year. So I just know that, that people that are at the NFR are cowboys and cowgirls from across the country and across the world. So that, that only happens once a year. Amen. At the NFR, you know, so having, having the crowd of people that live the lifestyle yet are from all corners of the country is, is just a really special time in general. And for me to be a small part of that and performing my style of country music that they can relate to, I think is really, really special. So I can't wait for that to happen. And, um, and the Chelsea is a beautiful theater. Um, we opened for Cody Johnson there two years ago and now to be coming back and headlining is kind of a full circle moment as well. Well, Well, Ian, thank you so much for your time and and we look forward to seeing you back in Vegas and, um, best of luck on the end of the rest of the year. And Thank you. At, at the end of the day, thank you for being you because we need more originality oh, and, and more real country music. Oh, man. Well, thank you guys for having me on here, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks in Vegas. Want to experience more of the NFR? Then visit nfrexperience.com, and we invite you to subscribe to NFR Extra on Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and wherever you're listening right now. If you like what you've heard on NFR Extra, We would love it if you gave us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe.